their skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land. And welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. So today is the second interview in a series where we begin our new tradition of interviewing only people named Dawn. Uh, we started with Don Chapman, and today we are interviewing another long-legacied skipper, Skipper Don Bobs. So if you are also named Don, well, maybe we can interview you as well. Although I doubt Donald Duck will ever make an appearance. <laughs> you know, all Don joking around, uh, this is the first of a two-part interview with a really distinctive figure from the jungle past. From 1968 to 1985, Don worked all around the park, but mainly at our dearly beloved Jungle Cruise. Don and I chat about his first time visiting the park with his family in 1955. That's right, the first year the park was open. We chat about the very early days of Disneyland, and Don is definitely, so far, the skipper we have gotten to chat with who was working at the park the earliest. To put that in perspective, Don started working at Disneyland 46 years ago and left 29 years ago. When you've been around a place that long, you have some amazing stories, and those are made even more amazing by Don's genuine love and enthusiasm for Disney, Disneyland, and the magic that has been being made there for nearly 60 years. You know, look, I, I love doing this podcast. You know, we may not have the largest listenership, but we're growing. It does take a lot of energy and time for me, as well as a good chunk of cash every year. So every once in a while, I kind of evaluate what I'm doing and if I keep wanting to do it. And I got to admit, before Labor Day, I was kind of in a slump. It's a time of year it's hard to get interviews. Our listenership goes slows down with uh, all the school starting. And coming out of this interview, well, it's the kind of experience that reinvigorates and brings back the love of what I'm doing. Getting the chat with skippers like Dawn, it definitely lights the fire under me and helps me feel like what I'm doing is worthwhile. So if you think that what we're doing is worthwhile and want to keep hearing stories like this, we only ask you to do two very simple things. The most important is to share us with your friends and other people who love Disney. We're over at Facebook at facebook.com slash junglecruise, C-R-E-W-S. And also, we haven't had any new iTunes reviews in over a year. Now, we know you guys listen and that we've had a lot of new listeners. If you could give us a nice little comment, we'd appreciate it. We're also over at Stitcher Radio if you prefer them on Android or iPhone. All right, my friends, it's an episode 60 years in the making. I present to you Skipper Don Bob's Season 4, Episode 4, in a show we call The Friend of Disneyland. Kungaloosh, everyone. scale that I never anticipated that people would be interested in. Yes, I see. Um, so they're not all ex-jungle no, cruisers. Oh, no, gosh, no. I, I think that, um, I think it's probably about 40%, 50% are ex-cast mm-hmm. members, mm-hmm. but we have people listening from Canada, Germany, uh, Russia. We've got someone in Russia who subscribes because I see all the downloads uh, Yes, going. yes, I see. So, yeah, so it's interesting. Japan, mm-hmm. um, Australia, um, 
the one that I thought was strange was Ecuador. We have someone who from Ecuador who downloaded all of the episodes. So it's it's funny that you know what we did yes. in the time, whether it be fifteen years ago for me now, or whether you know. More than 29 for me. Yeah, that mm-hmm. people still have not only an interest at Disneyland, but specifically what these stories are, are things that they haven't heard, um, whether they know people who are being interviewed or whether they're just fans of it. It, it gives them an insight yes, into things that are different. And the Jungle Cruise particularly is, it's an exceptional encapsulation of what the park is about. It's of the 10 rides that I would agree. Are, are open today that were open in 1955. Only 10? Only 10. I see. Do you know what all 10 of them were? Well, I can guess Peter Pan, Mr. Toad, Mm -hmm. Snow White. Uh, Snow White? I'm positive. It was? Okay, so Snow White. Um, Dumbo. Dumbo. Teacups. Carousel. Uh You're doing pretty well. Mark Twain. Uh, Jungle Cruise, Mark Twain. Okay, I've got to eight, so there are Uh two more. Although it's a little tricky because they consider Main Street vehicles to be an attraction. So the, okay. So that's one of them. And, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, is it going to be uh, basically, uh, is the last one? The last one. It's, would it be a ride or is it just uh, something people would not consider? Well, no, no, no. It's something people would consider. Okay. It's, it's, it's a big one. It's uh, from the viewpoint of it was very important to Walt. That was a good clue. It kind of, you know, well, it kind of encapsulates um, all of Disneyland. Now, the, some were not running on opening day. Yeah. Oh, of course, the steam, steam trains. Steam trains, yeah. Right. And, uh, but Casey Jr. opened within the first week, mm-hmm. so that would be another one. I think Casey Jr., they did during the 50th, consider that one of the opening day. Right, because I think it was ready to go, but they, it had glitches. Yeah. Um, there probably are others like that where mm-hmm. it wasn't quite ready to mm-hmm. go. Like, I don't know, rocket jets or... When when was the first time you went to the park as a guest? Um, It would have been in the first year, but certainly not the first day. Yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't... Crazy, crazy day. But we went pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. But... um, Oh, yeah. But this is the kind of thing... I mean, we'll get... Sure. I mean, this is... Sure. I I like it to be just very conversational. So I, you know, we'll... No, I understand. We'll get point by point. But this is is interesting, you know, because you were there... In that early time, as a, as a guest. Oh, uh, not only that, but we were such big, big fans. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe I'll stick to my agenda because I think I've I've thought it through. Oh, pretty, sure. I spent a lot of time. Um, I wanted to contact. I did contact some of my old friends. Read the old Jungle Drums and things. Mm-hmm. And in my research for this interview, I discovered um, the answer to a little mystery. Mm-hmm that I had wondered about for decades. Okay. Uh, it was that uh, Brazilian pepper tree mm-hmm. out in front of the entrance. You yep. know what I'm talking oh, yeah, about. absolutely. Hollow. And, but it had a latched or a hinged door over the... Mm-hmm. It was very nicely made. Yep. And um, the, I didn't find out about it until a, a friend of mine reached down into it and pulled out his lunch. And he said... Even though guests could easily do the same thesis, nobody would suspect because it's so beautifully mm-hmm. designed and made that uh, you wouldn't think of opening up and down deep in the hollow part of the limb. Well, um, you probably know it. Mm-hmm. I had the book all along, uh, 25 cents, probably from about 1954, The Little Man of Disneyland, a mm-hmm. golden book yep. uh, about a leprechaun, and he was displaced by the construction of building Disneyland. And 
Um, it was, and I think the some I don't I haven't found my book. It's in the house somewhere. Sure. But it ends with some line like in Boys and Girls, when you're at Disneyland, search and search until you find the little house that that uh, Walt Disney or we had built for the for the little man because he he lives there now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was the, uh, the that was the reason for making that the hinged mm-hmm. um, door, and it, it looked very natural and very good. I'm pretty sure the tree isn't there anymore. You know, and it's mm-hmm. it's interesting because that's it, it points out something about the way that guests interact with Disneyland is even things that you would think natural curiosity would have you poke your head into to things or. You know, the people kind of respect the magic of it a little bit. People it was don't. very nicely done, so it yeah. looked so natural. Yeah. The only thing that was odd was why it would be hinged. Because you could see them plugging it, mm-hmm. but not making it into a compartment. That was um, mysterious. Yeah. So that was pretty neat. Uh, now, I, I started in 1968, mm-hmm. but um, fall of 69 was when I... A switch to Jungle Cruise. Sure. Where, where, where I wanted you? to. Well, first I had worked as a, a costume character, mm-hmm. and um, I had worked at least one day in Adventureland as King Louis the Ape, mm-hmm. right by the exit of Jungle Cruise. And I know the movie was really new then because yeah. it had come out the previous year, and it was really popular. Jungle Book, mm-hmm. and uh, children. <laughs> costly coming up because it was before home video but they'd say king louis jump rope through your arms like you did in the movie yeah. well i could barely walk let alone <laughs> in that heavy cumbersome thing but it was pretty cute we had a, a blue the bear there with me mm-hmm. and they actually had king haughty the big elephant mm-hmm. operated by two people and i think once in a while the disney band would come through and they play that but the um king ha- i mean uh, the Colonel Hottie March, March. Yep. and uh, I think we'd have a tiny parade. I only did that one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, I played a um, Mary Poppins friend, Bert, the mm-hmm. chimney sweep. Oh, absolutely! But this was back in the days when I was kind of a messy chimney sweep. I had a broom, mm-hmm. smudged black on my face, sure. and I'd say, "Shake uh, hands for good luck." Mm-hmm. And um, I remember one day. You know, people didn't, because that's in the song, Jim mm-hmm. Jim Tree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, a little boy came up and says, I'll shake your hand. He had an electric buzzer. <laughs> One of the little wind-up ones? Uh, yes, yes. And um, during the year as a character, sometimes at night, mm-hmm. uh, they'd assign about four of us to catch Tinkerbell, the the one, the aerialist who would fly from mm-hmm. the Matterhorn. Yep. And there was a burn part of the old mine train ride uh, behind, say, the Fantasyland Theater where the Pinocchio ride yep, absolutely. would be now. And uh, it was Grassy Hill. And she'd come flying in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe she had a hand, uh, a handset for brakes. Mm-hmm. But still, she was coming in pretty fast. And so we held up a, a big oversized mattress. Mm-hmm. And she'd slam into the, the mattress, knock it down onto the Grassy Hill. And that that, that was it. So uh, one of the things I've... You know, we put up some pictures. Um, I try to do interesting like things on the Facebook page. One of the things I found was these pictures of all the costume characters from 50s, 60s, 70s, and right, how, right. how that evolved. I mean, just going from the 60s on, it mm-hmm. was such a change in 
how much better they looked. I mean, did did you? They certainly did. You, did. When you were, um, when the you were era, doing it, the, the first ones, you know, were I think from the ice capades, and they looked really te- yeah. they were terrible. Yeah, and they definitely but, weren't um, good for being close up. No, they weren't good by the time I did it either. Mm-hmm. For the most part, they had people about my my height was was pretty standard. Mm-hmm. I'm five foot seven, and we would play miniature characters because the head of the character was down, mm-hmm. say, around our below our chest, say the tummy area, yeah. and there'd be a big hat or honey pot, or the like Mad Hatter's hat. They would go up over our face. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the they were very cumbersome. There wasn't much we could do except walk. And, and, and sometimes I bet that was challenging. It, it certainly was yeah. because you couldn't. The vision wasn't very good. You couldn't see children around you, so you would accidentally bump into children. Now, did they did they have other people working with you at the time? Because I know that now, not not a single costume character goes out without a person out of costume to. We did have them. that. You did have some. Um, they call them tail patrol now. But I see. I think they were. I, I'd have to think what what, they, what we call them. They were usually former characters. Mm-hmm. They'd usually wear, um, I guess, shirt and tie. Yep. And they would just kind of stand around. I think they might be watching over a few sets, or mm-hmm. we call them units. So the three pigs yeah. and the seven dwarfs might only have one lead. It was, uh, I didn't actually plan to talk about being a character at all. Oh, no. That but was, um, yeah. it, was, it was funny because we were so limited in what we could do. Mm-hmm. And generally... We, we would just rest our hands into the nose of the character, and about the most you could do is wiggle, wiggle the nose. And the funniest one was Grumpy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a big, let's say, basketball-sized nose, mm-hmm. and you could grab onto the nose and pull it in, in till it looked, would suck into the face, and children would go, Grumpy, Grumpy, what? And then you could boom. It'd pop it out, and it didn't hurt them at all. Yeah. But it, it was kind of a funny gag. But uh, some of the children were mean, and they try to push us over. I, I heard we didn't vi- have use of our hands. I heard because, with villains in particular that that was a big issue with the big bad wolf, or you know, any, of the, any of the definitely. villains. They, they would get a, more of the brunt of the. I don't think I ever played a villain, yeah. but I did play the practical pig with, from the the three pigs. Yeah. He and he was designed to have a permanent scowl. On his face, and I remember I'd hear all day long, "It's the mean pig, get him!" <laughs> and uh, well, I think honest, honest John from Pinocchio. That's right. Yeah, he, he was the one that a lot or of Jay people, Worthington Falfell yeah was, the, was was one that uh, with this helicopter go. Right, right. Oh, yeah, he was he was one. So, um, so how long? Sorry, let me just wait for the helicopter. I'll slice that. I worked in characters for a full summer, um, including a, a big. I did some special events that were intriguing. One would have been the uh, the world premiere at the Disney Studio mm-hmm. of Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. Yep. And the animators came and brought their families along with movie stars and celebrities. So mm-hmm. I was there as a character to greet people as they came in. But a better event, um, I was a chimney sweep along with Mary Poppins, the Hollywood Bowl uh, Disney Family Night. Mm-hmm. And so I performed at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, that's great. Doing routines along with Mary Poppins. I, I love I, Mary Poppins. I, I, the movie came out last mm-hmm. year, The Saving Mr. Banks, and I have had very strong feelings about it. I certainly do have my complaints. I, I, I felt but, like it was revisionist history. Let's just leave mm-hmm, it at that. I, mm-hmm. I, it was not an accurate representation of certain things. But um, it's one of those things that I, I find really 
endearing is that that move has held up so beautifully for 50 years. It certainly has. I was um, friends with the Dick Van Dyke family Mm -hmm. through church, and so I had a lot of insight. I remember one time we went exploring at the studio, and there were the carousel horses from the Jolly Holiday sequence stashed in an old shed, I think, in the Zorro or their western town, Mm -hmm. rotting. The paint, it was only a few years later, but uh, obviously the elements, had uh, they were falling apart. Nobody taking care of it. Um, I'm sure I have many, many. The uh, Sherman brothers mm-hmm. were um, longtime family friends. Their family going back maybe to the 1930s with my family. And they encouraged my parents to move out to California. Mm-hmm. So I, I, had lots of, I have lots of stories about I, them. And they wrote me my introductory letter to help me get a job oh, at the park. That's excellent. I still have the letter. I, I on have. Happiest Millionaire Stationery. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, you know, it's it's funny when I was. I can tell you for hours about Happiest Millionaire and when the Sherman Brothers came <laughs> for the at the Disney Studio. We had a, a a celebration when the print was restored yep. um, and put back together, and the Biddle Bible class uh, we had special sweatshirts made up by Stacia Martin to. Uh, I, I can remember every word the Sherman Brothers said at their yeah. at the talk afterwards. There was a. But I'm getting so far away from Jungle Cruise. Oh, no, we'll, I don't. We'll get, but, but I mean, this is this is all part of the. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the gestalt. This is all of the things that led you into that. That's it. I I got really lucky, and this time this, that story you'll be interested in was. Yes. Uh, uh, I was down from living in Washington, and me and my uh, my ex at the time uh, were just walking. It was a rainy day. Yes, and of course. The, the, it was one of those days where there might have been 10,000 people in the park. Almost no one was there. And we're walking by the Golden Horseshoe, and this lady with a clipboard says, Hey, we need to fill some seats out for a taping. Will you guys come in? And we're like, of course, it's raining. What, we don't want to be out here. So we went in, and we sit down, and there's TV camera, uh, recording film cameras. And they introduce it, and it was, it was the Sherman Brothers came out for two hours they were interviewed, um, I want to say it was Tom Lehrer, but I know it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But the great interviewer was there, but they, they played, you know, songs through the whole thing and told the stories. And I I really want at some point to find that video or movie of that. Right, I'm sure it exists. It was such a beautifully well I know together. where it might be available. This is just a guess. But um, University of, like Disney University yeah. in Florida mm-hmm. had a big collection, this in the days of videotape, where employees could check out yeah. um, from their library yeah. of that type of thing, and you might be able to find it there. And when I had met Dave Smith, the archivist, it was one of the things I forgot to ask him. Um, I know Dave Smith yeah. very well. So let's uh, let's go back to that. So you were working as uh, King Louie outside the Jungle Cruise. For one day. For one right. day. Did, did the bug cross over? Was that what it, the jungle water got into your veins? or Probably. Um, <laughs> You know, I I don't think I went on the Jumbo Cruise when I was very young. Disneyland opened in, in um, 1955. I probably thought it would be too scary. And I think the first year or so, they didn't have ticket books. I don't believe so, or coupon books. Mm-hmm. I think you had to pay extra for each ride. And so I'm pretty sure that my family only paid the general admission and went on no rides. Yeah, um, It probably took a few years till I ever went on the Jungle Cruise. Yeah. Um, and I think in the early days of coupon books, it might have only gone up to C. That's kind of A, B, C. Maybe right. there was a D added in. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Yeah, but I, the I, E's I, came later. 
these came in the 60s, right? Early 60s? I, I don't... Yeah, it, I, I think that might have started with the 1959 uh, with the Matterhorn, yeah. um, the, the submarine, and the monorail. Okay. That might have started the E coupon, but it might have been D. I can't yeah. quite remember for sure. Um, I do remember the Tiki Room um, well, would not accept coupons. Was a, was you a, had is cash only. It was like a dime or something? It was. I don't think it was that cheap. I think it might have been... I don't remember. Yeah, it was, but we we didn't go in because you had to pay extra. Yeah, because uh, yeah, because at the time when it started, it was uh, Dole had the sponsorship and they were providing the staffing for it. And I think Walt had paid for. Or was it United tiki Airlines? Maybe it was a. But I, I'm but, not sure. But I know that Walt had paid for a lot of the tiki room out of his own non-studio mm-hmm. finances. Mm-hmm. So he was. They were trying to recoup some of the costs of doing it. And doing the creation of it for the World's Fair because it wasn't coming out of studio uh-huh. money. I vaguely remember the story. Right. I was on a studio tour as a child, well, maybe 10 or 11, um, and they were putting together the Tiki Room and talking about it, about how it would have actual stereo sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yes, anyway. Oh, the technology of the time. Right, right. Um, it just... <laughs> getting on to yep. Jungle Cruise. Uh, when I started there in 1969, it was different. It, The park was different. But um, I think that all of our supervisors, every one of them, the managers, had worked on Jungle Cruise and worked his way up through the ranks. It was different. Yep. And so a lot of the pranks and things had been were so accepted that... Um, I think management just looked the other way. Sure. It was expected well, that on an employee's last day that a group of his friends would grab him t- and toss him into the water. Yeah. And there were all kinds of silly things that went on in the jungle. And I, th- I think it was kind of allowed. Well, I think there was a different culture in general at the time because mm-hmm. there wasn't the fear of lawsuits that the company has to have now. And there yes. wasn't you know, the need to document everything so rigidly. It was a little more of a... Um, a fraternity kind of a, an atmosphere. It was. It was exactly that. Yeah. I remember uh, seeing the gorillas wearing bikinis. I don't know if they even have those gorillas anymore. <laughs> the and, gorillas uh, still there. There were and a whole bunch of the guys going out and striking poses mm-hmm. in the silly things along with the animals now, in the veld. Now, sixty-four. The, sixty-four was the year the veld was added. Right, right. So it was. It was definitely there when yeah. I, from the time I started, the. Um, let's say all these young men in their underwear um, just doing silly things or in maybe in bathing suits attacking the charging hippos like mm-hmm. grabbed onto them with rubber knives and very or dancing with the natives mm-hmm. all this stuff went on and it was it made it kind of or, or uh, it was fun but I remember skippers would jump from one boat to the other as they crossed by Schweitzer Falls and then continue the tour just like which, which now would be like the first one who, you know, slips and falls and breaks something, you know. The, um, the humor that was acceptable back then was, uh, people are shocked, but say, and now? And I think some of this was in the written spiel we're required to say it. And now the most dangerous part of our journey, the return to civilization, the California freeways, and those crazy women drivers. <laughs> <laughs> and if your mother-in-law is still sitting next to you, you missed your golden opportunity. 
but bring her back. Our mother-in-law special leaves at midnight, halfway for a half fare, no questions asked. And here on the dock, to help you out of your boat, meet our, the two brothers, Chimp and Pansy. Um, we keep them around to prove that California is still famous for its fruits and nuts. Yep. I mean, it's, it isn't just, I mean, that's, I've, I've heard versions of that from, from people in the past. And I, I just think that it was culturally such a different, I think people were a lot harder to offend. And it was, um, you, you heard those, that type of joke yeah. on, in situation comedies on TV so much that uh, women drivers, yeah. they, it, everybody, I mean, the women laughed because it was just part of, yeah. It triggered the cultural laughter, the cultural humor base. Right. In fact, in the in the fifties, most women did not drive. Mm-hmm. It, it it was the responsibility of the husband to um, chauffeur the family, and ladies did not drive. Yeah. So um, Walt's presence. See, he died in December '66. I started in '68. Uh-huh. I never met him, but I would say people. The, the presence was still very, very strong. Oh, I would expect at that time it was still, you know, like like a, a fairy godfather kind of very definitely. Over the top of, of the course, park. I heard negative stories, yeah. but I but you would hear lots of nice things. And um, I remember a a sweeper said that Walt had one day come up to him and asked how he how his boss was treating him, mm-hmm. and Walt said something like. That's so important to me. He says, the way you're treated is going to reflect upon how you treat our guests. He yep. says, and our guests don't remember um, how clean the place is, how beautiful it is. What they're going to remember is how, how, they're, treated as, how they're treated as people. Yep. Well, and, you know, it's, it's so funny that it just takes one negative experience to wipe out all of those, those hundreds of good ones. Yes, so, yes. So really caring about the guest and making sure that that one thing doesn't happen that ruins a family's day or... Of course. Yeah. Of course. No, no. Um, I had a friend who, as a teenage girl, had asked to join Walt Disney and sit next to him on the Small World Ride. And uh, her name is Debbie Baxter. And as they rode through, Walt said... Well, I remember he told... I wasn't there. He told her... That's my favorite part. And he pointed to the little Ethiopian, bo- Ethiopian boys who were holding their tummies, rocking back and forth, laughing, along with um, hyenas. Mm-hmm. I don't think they even left that part in the ride. I don't it think is. It's, yeah, it's still there. Is it? Yeah, Good. it's still there. And um, another story, her brother, uh, who's a close friend, Tony Baxter. Yep, I was about to say, I was going to ask if it was... Right, worked for Imagineering. And um, in his early days... He worked in the model shop, mm-hmm. and he would, for props, go to the the noise yeah, there. Yeah, it's actually not showing up that badly on the recordings. So. Okay. He would um, pull um, little objects out of Walt's miniature collection that Walt Disney collected oh, yeah, from around the world. Yeah. And he said it gave the nicest feeling. He, he mentioned, um, I think, little tiny hurricane lamps that would be used in the 
Country Bear Jamboree in Florida. Yeah. Have you had a chance to go up to the, the Walt Disney Family Museum up in San Francisco? I haven't, no. They actually have um, a lot of Walt's miniature collection up beautiful, there. Beautiful, beautiful. Probably 100, 150 pieces mm-hmm. like, laid out. It's really amazing because you, you see how that influenced storybook canals. Sure, um, sure. You see how it influenced uh, Journey to Inner Space. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of small and large kind of things yes. that, that really work on. By the way, Tony was, said it gave him a glow to feel that Walt seemed to know in the yeah. past I, what would be needed for the, I, for I the would, parks. I would, I would love to chat with Tony on the, the, on the podcast just because, you know, he has some, some great insight into a lot of the things that were happening on Imagineering at the time. And, uh, I know he's done a couple of other uh, uh, interviews with friends that I uh, colleagues in the in the. Thing. Yes. And I would love to get him just to chat about some of the the feeling of it. I'm sure. So, yes. So, so when you uh, was it easy for you to get transferred over to the jungle? Was it? Uh, I, for me, it seemed difficult. Uh-huh. Uh, they had all their their policies, you know. So it, uh, but it turned out that I I was working on the Autopia, and a friend on the jungle cruise. Dave Pappas wanted to trade, and they allowed it for some mm-hmm. reason. Um, I was uh, so it that worked out just right for me. Yeah, it was good because I was very very happy on the Jungle Cruise. Uh, getting back to Walt though, the um, he we were always told or we often heard that the Jungle Cruise was his favorite ride. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, but I, I've heard that. But we were from people, and we always heard about how he insisted. The, the cost of those elephants, he wanted it to be a full nine minutes in mm-hmm. travel through solar. So we used to keep watch um, stopwatches on the front of the dashboard of the Jungle Cruise boat to make sure we were at our checkpoints yep. at the correct second. Um, See, and now pe- I pe- did. People now would be amazed because when they did in 95, when they had Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. they cut about a minute and a half of the travel time off the river. So... Uh, as people may not know, as they're listening, that yes, it was used to be a significantly longer. When you say nine minutes, some of the people there now would go, "How could it be nine minutes?" And, right, but and, it certainly was. Yeah, it was, and it was because the river was longer. There was and more, they restrict more that space we to cover. adhere to that. Yeah, um, I did get to ch- a chance to talk with Roy's older brother. I'm sorry, Walt's older brother, Roy, and his wife. Uh, about the time that Disney World was getting to op- uh, getting ready to open the Magic Kingdom there, and basically talked because I at the time was considering wanting to to go to live and work at Disney World, and uh, he he spoke nicely about how all their loyal and dedicated people were making this happen. Yeah, that's now I also became friends with because um, I lived in Portland, Oregon for twenty years. Mm-hmm. Walt's nephew. His name is Ted Beecher, and he was the son of Ruth, um, Walt's little sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could talk for hours about Walt's family and stuff, yeah. but I think I'll get back to... I, I, I got to meet uh, Diane. Um, Diane. Yeah, I've never met her. Uh, uh, she came through when I was working at the, the Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, right? Uh-huh. And it was her and Walt's grandson, Christopher. And we were standing at the window in front of Walt's old office. And, of course, I didn't vary from the script. I was a good cast member and didn't, you know, say how great it was to meet them or anything like that. But so I sat there and I, I gave the spiel to, to someone who had actually been in that office. 
as a child and who had actually seen that studio in that time period. And I felt so awkward telling her what all these things were when she knew about them on, from firsthand knowledge. I'm but, sure she appreciated oh, it. It was, it was one of my highlights mm. of my eight years there was getting to meet her. It was definitely of one of the two of or three things that I hold most dear at the time. Yes. Yes. Um, I was uh, extremely devoted and dedicated to Disneyland mm-hmm. enough that I, I think that the, the entire park pretty much was aware of my presence. And I, I think in a way I almost thought of myself as Walt Disney Jr. I wanted to I come in early, leave late, you know, before my shift afterwards. I check up on everybody, make sure things were running the way I felt Walt would, would have wanted. And I wanted to see every little change. Made, I'd snoop around backstage and sure. check you, up. You, in the, you, you were a fanboy before there were... Before it was... Uh, it wasn't a, popular back then. No, no, no. Uh, in fact, I remember going, just for instance, uh, I went to the opening of the, I think it's the uh, Los Angeles County Museum of Contemporary Art. I might not... Downtown? Probably. It's, it's my, I yeah. was a teenager. Yeah. And I remember asking the curator, do you have any Disney art? Mm-hmm. And the reaction was shock, like, Disney art? Like, almost like that goes in the dumpster right away. Um, people did not take it seriously. Yeah. Well, that was it, pre-Warhol. I mean, that was, you know... Right, that right. Was, that was a very different kind of contemporary art at the time. It wasn't, uh, no, it wasn't what no. we would think of, you know, with Lichtenstein. And, uh, not at all. No, no. Very no um, especially maybe through the 50s and the 60s, the time that I was working there and started working there, mm-hmm. for the most part... Americans thought of, of uh, Disneyland as, or the Disney movies, as uh, for kiddies. Yep. And it was appropriate for parents and grandchildren to take their children there. But there wasn't a much interest or serious consideration for teenagers, young people, young adults. Do you feel like that's the same for the live-action movies, or, or why... You know why they started doing more live action? Would you think it was to capture a little older market? Well, um, of course, you have to think of which era. Yeah. There, um, I think that at first their live action movies like Treasure Island, Twenty Thousand Leagues, and yeah, Pollyanna was... were um, were meant to be high. They were they were aiming to make something very nice. But um, I have heard that. Most of those, many of their live-action films were only made with profit in mind so that the money could be poured into the projects Walt really wanted to do. And I'm talking about very silly things like uh, yeah. Moon Pilot or, or the successful ones like The Shaggy Dog. Yeah, Cat from Outer Space. Right, of course, uh, that's much later. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think many people took those uh, Too Kurt Russell yeah. films seriously. and. Yeah, no, I just it's I, it's 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 things that are very interesting because it's it's a different perspective. I mean, I think we all, I think everyone knows from discussion that mm-hmm. you know it, it was a different time for animation, right. and it wasn't there for wasn't me, it there was, wasn't TV animation. It was all you know, right? The the, tra- the in some ways snippets. it worked out nice for me because I used to be able to snoop around the studio, or sometimes meet um, the famous animators, yeah. and discuss things with them or the composers. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were so flattered yeah. that a young per, or so, an adult yeah. would take their work seriously. That I had some very very nice conversations, yeah. in depth things, um, because I was one of the very few 
that would take an interest in what they had done, well, what they had created. And not not to say this, you know, is gratuitous or to embarrass you, but you know, your you know, a lot of people when I was talking a year or two years ago and your name first came up, you were one of the first people who said that, you know, you were one of the you someone said you were one of Disneyland's biggest fans. I believed in and, what I was doing. Yeah, and it, it's such I a great tribute to, I, to who you are. I um, I always wanted to do a good job. Yeah. I, I don't know if I was capable, yeah, but right. I, my aim was always to do the best I could do yeah. because I, I I loved the place. I, I believed in what it stood for. Well, and if it's if it's any, you know, kind of a, uh, a positive feeling that your co-workers, you know, 30 years later, all, all hold you in that regard that... Uh, you know, it's. I didn't of, know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. One of the first names that came out in uh, 2011 when I started this was your name. So. Well, that's. I'm surprised because so few people are left. Yeah. You know, but I certainly dream about being there often. Yeah. It's, it's kind of. Um, I, I joke that. Did you ever see the movie uh, the Disney Cool Runnings? The Jamaican no, no, bobsled uh, team. I, I do remember. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it. Yeah, no. there was there was a thing in there where they would they would do the bobsled run in their sleep. They'd be in bed sleeping and they'd still be leaning forward and right and left the same way they would on a bobsled. I actually think that working at Disneyland and particularly working on the Jungle Cruise, it doesn't matter how long since you were there, you still kind of you know, it it, it becomes part of who you are. So you're certainly automatically leaning to the left and right, and you're automatically thinking. Uh, the way that you thought when you were there because it does uh, definitely permeate who you are for the rest of your life. It's, it, yes, it, it, it does. Um, I don't think I was ever a good spieler, but I was different. Mm -hmm. I, it's funny, when I first started, I got all these recordings of Winston Hibbler narrating the Disney nature films and because I admire his Absolutely. So, such a pleasant manner and um, I tried to imitate his delivery, his, uh, his phrasing and inflections uh, but after a while I realized that my uh, boatloads or my <laughs> audience was falling asleep as I would talk so I, I tried something a little different uh, I'd say most of the other uh, my co-workers gave a very I don't want to say cynical but kind of a, a deadpan approach like mm -hmm. There's something you don't see every day. I do. Like yeah. so many. Um, I went almost the opposite. Mm -hmm. I decided to make it um, naive to the point of being ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And for me, it worked. Mm -hmm. I, I said such uh, foolish things like I was an overgrown kid that really believed that all the danger was there, that mm -hmm. they. Um, and, you, uh, you, were, you were buying into it so that the people on your boat could also buy into it. Well, for me, it was fun. Yeah. I had fun with it. That's a good, and that's I think, a good delivery. I think that um, most of the guests did. And I had fans. I, there were people who, they'd be waiting there at the uh, loading dock and say, I'm not getting in until Don's boat comes round. Mm -hmm. And people would send me pictures and letters and things. So uh, I certainly wasn't great because I'm not glib and I, I'd never had the imagination to... To, to really speak yeah. um, well, but well, and I, but for what I could do, I, I tried. I tried. And, you know, and that's something, I mean, people have asked me, and, and because obviously I'm invested in the, you know, but people have asked me what the, 
what the secret of being a good Jungle Cruise skipper is from the delivery side. And I tell, always tell people, don't be a comedian, be yourself. And whatever your personality is, is what brings the joy to the ride. You don't have to try, you just have to be however it is that you are. And that comes across as mm -hmm. much more natural and much more convincing to just do what you're doing. So if you brought your enthusiasm, it's because you were an enthusiastic person and it came through. Hopefully. Um, again, yeah. I, I tried. It, it wasn't really my natural way to be quite so cheerful. But, but it was fun to do it. Yeah. It was fun to do it that way. Uh, getting back to, say, the public attitude towards Disneyland, um, when I, see, when I first started around 68, you have to remember at different times, American society was really changing a lot mm -hmm. with, I'd say, I'll say typified by hippies yep. and the wholesome goodness and clean-cut grooming of Disneyland was probably quite offensive to a big portion of America. Mm -hmm. They thought of it as being artificial, not, not, not appealing. Naive, kind of naive about Well, just um, maybe in the way of being like a lie to society. Sure. The, I think a standby phrase would it might have been, tell it like it is. Things became earthy, vulgar um, in society, mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah. And so Disneyland almost was going counter to that. Um, though there was a movement in the, at the same time that started right around 1968, kind of a surprise thing where nostalgia suddenly became popular mm -hmm. and where it would have been impossible for an adult to consider, you know, no, no one in his right mind would wear a Mickey Mouse watch up until around 1968. Yep. And then all these things of adults acting like children mm -hmm. suddenly became fashionable. Mm -hmm. And I think, in some ways, that did did help. Um, there was a kind of a slump in the Jungle Cruise, I would say. And of course, uh, it's for me, it's hard to put it all in perspective. Sure. But it be, they became aware that the prestige that was once attached to Jungle Cruise, mm -hmm. maybe fifties and nineteen sixties, was slipping. I think um, I'm not sure what caused it. Maybe the opening up of Pirates of the Caribbean, Nor New Orleans sure, Square, sure. but the tour guys didn't fall all over and fall in love with Jungle Cruisers right away like they used to. And um, there was an odd movement. I became a trainer, and I remember a, a military-minded, or who had been in the military, supervisor, deciding, we're going to fix the, uh, the spirit of the Jungle Cruise by making everything strict. And so, whereas before, we used to wear summer costumes that were, I guess, maybe kind of Jamaican, loose-fitting, bright-colored, um, and with sandals. And every, each jungle cruiser had his individual hat um, with toy gorillas and bananas and all tattered and funny snakes and things on the hats. That that was immediately eliminated in favor of making everything regimented mm -hmm. to create a team spirit. Sure. Um, and as a trainer, I was told you, they mustn't even add the word "and" into the spiel. It's got to be verbatim, word for word. Well, and that was was that that was sixties. You said uh, that would have probably been maybe around nineteen seventy. Yeah, because that was one of the things I know 
from from kind of my history of talking to people was there was a big influx after um, around the Vietnam War time and maybe even you know with some of the other people who were getting out of the military mm-hmm. pre-Vietnam who were retiring. And there were a couple um, of the higher ups in the Disneyland chain who were ex-military, so they had a habit of hiring. I remember some of those mean ones. Yes. Yeah, they yes. had a habit of hiring military people because uh-huh. you know they were used to to organizing and working with large groups of people, and the corporate culture wasn't what it was today. Well, so, I did see that with the Jungle Cruise, yeah. and I did see it actually in other parts of the park. But um, there were a lot of nice things that were instituted, and. I don't remember exactly when they took down that big tower where the Jungle Cruise guys could take their breaks and see when they're, you know, out in front of the ride. Yeah, yeah. Um, that might have been just before I started. They had cut the, the they changed the loading dock so it was straightened out instead sure. of that nice big curve um, about this time. But they gave us our own special, instead of the one up in the tower, um, they called Juba the jungle upstairs break area, yep. which was um, that above the Adventureland Bazaar, there is a wrought iron gate went to a stairway, Bougainvillea. It's a kind of almost a, a skinny hallway mm-hmm. of a room. Yep. It's, um, it's, it's become an electrical closet with, as the years okay. go by okay. with all the circuit breakers. But it was panels, meant as a, as a spirit break. builder, yeah. and it, it was kind of nice. We Joel Haberstadt, who later became my editor of the Design Line, I think he made a... I'll call it a poster, but a photograph of each skipper mm-hmm. with a comic saying um, description underneath. And I remember the one for me said, wow, I love loading boats. I love it, love it, love it, or something like that. And he asked me to decorate the uh, this poster. I put little jungle pictures of Mickey with wild anim- Mickey Mouse, um, wild animals in 1930s style. And Joel liked it. He said... Um, and now I'm editor of the Diz Online. Could you do a a um, a Christmas cover for this? Was the old employee newsletter that came yeah. out each week, and so I I did a picture of uh, the famous characters like Goofy, Pluto, seven characters in it in a Christmas scene, and uh, they said, "Well, we have bad news for you. It has to be redrawn by one of the official artists, Chuck Boyer," and he ruined it. Mm-hmm. He, um, but that that version of the picture was reused for at least 20 years for different publications, advertising, and stuff. And it really was basically my design. So that was yeah, it's nice. It's nice. My claim to fame, but I never got credit or paid for it. <clears throat> and there we go, everyone. Uh, cutting our interview in half again. I know. That frustrates some of you, but uh, we have to do that for space. Uh, We will have the second half of this great interview in two weeks, uh, September 16th, uh, on uh, any of the places where you normally download your podcasts. You can also leave us messages over at Facebook, facebook.com slash junglecruise, C-R-E-W-S, or at our Podbean page, junglecruise.podbean.com. We love hearing your comments, and we look forward to bringing you more great episodes just like this. Thanks, everybody.